Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another long-anticipated, long-delayed episode of the Second City Hockey Podcast. I'm your host, Dave back again, and I've got two of the usual suspects with me. First off, our social media manager and master of all things related to puns, Brandon Kane is here. Brandon, say hi to the people. Hello, people. And back with him is a person whose introductions always leave me without something clever to say, Shepard Price. Hi, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) So, like many people listening to this podcast, we just finished watching a pretty damn terrible Chicago Blackhawks game. They gave up all the shots and some of the goals to the Nashville Predators. The five, I think it was three to nothing, right? I, I, I think I stopped paying it, it was It was three nothing. It was three it to was nothing. All, it was all one guy, too. Which it is, was a Nick Benino hat trick. Then yeah. The fact that it was only three to nothing is amazing because I think they finally gave up. I think the final total was 50 shots on goal surrendered by the Blackhawks. Every single player was on the negative side of the possession metrics at natural stat trick. It was up there with one of the worst Blackhawks games I have seen in the last three to four years. And considering some of the dreadful performances we've seen from this team over the last few years, that's saying something. The first question I have for you, Shepard Price, is how much is what we saw tonight indicative of what we're going to see over the final 70 or so games this season? I hope not very. Um, You hope. I hope. Hope is not encouraging. (laughs) No, but to be fair, Someone, some, someone is very clearly not on this team right now that needs to be on this team because he's very clearly, at this point in time, Chicago's best defender, and that is Connor Murphy. Uh, okay. I, I, I thought you were going to go with Adam Boquist until you said best defender, but go on. Uh, Connor is, has been a step above basically everybody to this point in the season. Um, I think he definitely would have helped tonight. Uh, he's proven himself capable of clearing the crease. But unless he's he- until he's healthy, I I can see this being how bad the Blackhawks are. The offense does not work. I I don't know whether it's the line combinations. I don't know whether it's the work ethic that that Jeremy Colleton keeps going back to the well of. I just until that power play gets better, until the offense looks improved, until Jonathan Taves is not a problem, which he is right now, it's gonna be really bad. Brandon Kane, same question for you. Yeah, it's it's bad. Luckily they have it's all bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, luckily they have the Kings on Saturday, so they just beat them, so maybe that's a, you know, morale win, uh but then they have to turn around and face the Sharks, which hey, they're not that great right now. So uh maybe scheduling-wise, they get a bit of a pickup, you would hope, I guess. Uh, but for the long run, like Shepard said, until you have Connor Murphy back, then you don't really have a reliable defenseman that can play in all three zones for the most part. See, and this is where I try so hard to fight against the overreaction that has become a, a massive issue across all sports. I think it's the worst in the NFL because they only play 16 games, but uh, Monday morning quarterback syndrome is so bad just with the 
the discussion around football right now because they only play 16 games, and it seems like every single game is the entire season. Hockey, they play 82 games, so every game is not quite as important, but it just seems like there's – I think the issue is the familiar, the familiar look that the Blackhawks had tonight of a team that is a step behind an opponent who – Nashville is a good team. They're a fast team. And I think it it makes the Blackhawks look so much, just so much worse than they actually are. It kind of takes you back to the the playoff series from three seasons ago when Nashville swept the Hawks in four games, and the Hawks were never really close to to any type of win in any of those games. And so I think that's part of the issue here is that it triggers the memory of Blackhawks letdowns of the past. So I, I guess that's like kind of ties into what I was going to ask you guys and and we talked about it a little bit already but I'm not convinced the Blackhawks team is as bad as we saw tonight but I I just I don't see them being good like I I don't see any route to them being a good team even with Connor Murphy in the lineup and what do you guys think about that again I I, as as currently constructed I think there's too many problems I think but again if if the players who need to shape up do shape up Kane's not playing great hockey right now. Taves is not playing great hockey right now. Keith is clearly missing his partner. Um, until those guys that are and have been and will be continue to be key components of the Blackhawks, until they're playing their best hockey uh, and Dylan Strom and Alex Dabrinkat aren't on the fourth line for some reason, <laughs> playing, with a, playing with a defensive-minded center because even as good as Ryan Carpenter's been so far this season, he's a defensive-minded center. Right. Um, until until lineup changes are made and the power play again, the the power play seems like one of the worst in the league right now. I haven't checked where they currently stand. I would not be surprised if they were twenty fifth or lower. Uh, I think it was until, they're they three the for thirty three. They were in yeah. the high twenties over the weekend. As I I remember typing in twenty fifth for the preview on Saturday, and they've been they haven't scored since. So I imagine they're down lower. Yeah, but, until until the power play, which was which elevated the Blackhawks last season, until the power play is not a problem, that the and the declining penalties jokes stop. Uh, this is a bad team. They I, were twenty. Way of them being good. The Hawks' power play was tied for twenty six with Anaheim entering action on Tuesday. They're at uh, three for thirty one for the season, nine point six eight percent. So there you go. Yeah. 20, That's 20, really 20%. bad. And it now, couldn't be nine point six nine percent. No, no, it damn could. it, no, it could. So close, so close. We almost had something to laugh about with this team. I know, right? And we had something, yeah. Just one glimmer of hope. That's all you need, right? <laughs> I, I don't have a glimmer of hope for you, Brandon. I'm sorry. I'm all. I'm all out of glimmers. The only glimmer of hope I have is Robin Leonard's performance and the PK went five for five. That's it. It reminds yeah, the, the penalty kill finally looked good. Yeah, for one. Absolutely. Absolutely. I guess that's the one thing we can point to as a little bit of optimism is that the penalty kill was good against the national predators. So maybe that's something I I don't know. I just think whenever the Hawks play teams like uh, the national predators come to mind when they play against Tampa, it's going to be terrible when they play. Tampa's Tampa's not Tampa this year, to be fair, but is Tampa still fast. Probably. Okay, <laughs> this is one of more – it's more about, like, just teams with speed. So, when they play the Colorado when, when, Avalanche, it's going to look terrible. Like, any time the Blackhawks face a team that is fast, it's going to look like we saw tonight. A and better example is probably Vegas. Say that again? 
a probably a better example is probably Vegas. That's going to be a blood a bloodbath. Well, that that's the interesting part because I, I was just I was thinking about that. Vegas has been historically since they came into the league a team that has given the Blackhawks fits, and at every they still haven't beaten the Knights in a game. They at least forced overtime last time, and I'm sure we all thought that they played pretty well that night. And I think Carlton said so after the game that they looked pretty good until they gave up that goal late in regulation that tied and sent it to overtime. So, you know, and I think Connor Murphy played in that game. So maybe I don't but know. That, Connor, you've got to, you've got to take into account that Vegas was missing both its leading scorer from last year and Alex Tuck and their second best defenseman in Nate Schmidt. And there goes the optimism from that game. There we go. Now we've gotten rid of all of it. <laughs> It's just that that's the thing. Like every every game that I look at and try and draw a positive from, there's some counter to it to uh, eliminate the reason for optimism. And that's it's every mo, the majority of the games I don't have things to be optimistic about because the Blackhawks just looked awful in them. But you know, like the thing you just mentioned about the Vegas game, and then you know I thought they looked decent at times against Washington, but the de- defense was so bad it didn't make a difference. The Carolina game was a nightmare, and and they beat the Kings pretty soundly on Sunday night, which was encouraging. But it's the Kings; they're so bad right now. They're they're legitimately worse than the Blackhawks, and I, I like it was it was nice that the Blackhawks beat them soundly, that they didn't like struggle and then need overtime to win that game. But it's still the Kings, you know. You're still beating up on a guaranteed lottery team, although the Blackhawks looked an awful lot like a lottery team against the National Predators. So while we're on one of the very popular topics in Chicago Blackhawks land, after the game, head coach Jeremy Carlton had some interesting comments. Once again, it sounded like he was kind of doubling down on his um, the things he mentioned earlier in the season when he was uh, so angrily said, it's not, the, it's not the line combinations, it's the work ethic. And I'm trying to hunt down the quotes right now. We got one from Carlton said, we needed to push back. We needed to have some sustained zone time. We needed to make a few plays. And typically we were late. They got momentum from it. They hemmed us in and it just snowballed, which that sounds kind of similar to a work ethic, not line combos comments. Here's another one where it says the moments this year when we've been good, we showed that desperation and hunting the puck and being aggressive and always next and always next. The players that have drove that for us this year, a lot of them were not very good tonight. That's from Ben Pope from the Chicago Sun-Times on Twitter. Brandon Kane, what is your reaction to those comments? I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> well, I just – is it effort or is it just the fact that they're slow? Or is it, the, or is it, or is it actually the line combination? combination I think it's <laughs> that the coach needs to put players in the most opportune situations to succeed, and that's not happening. And because of that, the players aren't playing to their capabilities, which is showing that they aren't, quote, working hard. In To, like, break down his remark on that. Um, yeah, but... He's, I mean, he's doing his little bingo ball thing that he referenced <laughs> of, you know, line combinations don't matter and you know, shuffling the lines and seeing, uh, I guess more so what doesn't work Yeah. of late. Um, so and if he can see what doesn't work against the good teams and learn from it and make in-game adjustments, then that's good. That's what you would want to see. Yeah. But we haven't seen that. 
it seems like he's getting closer to a decent lineup. Like I like the Taves Ken Kajula line at the top. I, I think maybe Saad should be on that line. Yes. Just to, because Saad Taves Kane is kind of like the nuclear option for the team now. And Saad's been one of the best forwards, probably the best forward for the Hawks through the first month of the season. And putting him with Taves and Kane might get one or both of those guys going. Cause we'll, we'll come back to that later, but we know Taves isn't going and isn't really doing much. And Kane isn't that far behind with his struggles. We talked about getting Stroman to bring it together. I think Strom needs to be a center. To bring it needs to be on his uh, left wing, and then I don't know, put it, like you, you would like to have somebody that can get the puck to Stroman to bring it in like board battles and such. I don't know if Shaw's that guy. It seems like a decent option, maybe Kajula. I don't know, but I, I think you start with you have Taves and Kane together. You pair DeBrinket and Strom together, and then you put Saad and Kubalik together, and then you fill in the rest of the spots. What do you guys think about that? I think I think Saad needs because again he's been the best forward for Chicago. He needs to be playing the most minutes, and I think the best best way to do that is to put him with Taves and Kane. I think somebody who's not getting mentioned as a possible Strom DeBrinket uh, third member is Alex Nylander, who uh, I had a lot of doubts about coming into the season, and then he's been consistently really good. I think his defense, his takeaways, his playmaking ability, I think he could easily be the the, the third fit. If he's not with Kirby Doc on the third line, then I think he could fit with uh, Stroman Dabrinkat. I'd be a lot more open to it now than I would have been a month ago because Nylander has been one of the quiet positives for the first month of the season. I think there was, myself included, there were plenty of naysayers or just people that were concerned about Nylander's ability to play at the NHL level, but he's been pretty good. Like That pass he made to David Kampf to set up the goal against LA while he was falling to the ice, just the presence of mind to make that pass and then the ability to pull it off was quite impressive. I'm I'm very encouraged by him, but Brandon Kay, what do you think about all this line combination nonsense that's been going on for the last couple of weeks? Yeah, I think Nylander would be a good option in that role. Um, I think something that stood out to me with his play is his vision and ability to see where the puck is going to go and to go to that area, specifically with takeaways. Um, something that's jumped out to me. And I – I feel like he plays better, like, up to the caliber of players that he's with. Right. Um, so putting him with Carpenter for a little while was good because Carpenter was quietly up there with Saad as one of the best forwards. And playing in a more defensive role for those few games helped him. And I believe Colleton said that there was the game that Nylander was scratched and then he played two games on the fourth line, I think. And mm-hmm. they sat down, they went over the positives and negatives, and then the next game he was better. And then the next game he was better. So if Colleton's doing that, whether it's one-on-one or with other players, members of the coaching staff, then that's a good step for Nylander and for potentially other young players in their development uh, at the NHL level. I know we talk about a lot about development and you know amongst the prospect ranks in the AHL but you also need that for the younger guys that are up on the NHL roster now so they're improving you know day by day and game by game right like like we've seen Doc do 
the last oh yeah uh, over his time here except tonight but nobody was good tonight so you can't really blame doc Right, and, and just really quickly to touch on Kirby Dog is another one of the positives. Uh, there's no way he's going back to Saskatoon, right? No, no, yeah. he's got to stay here. Okay, he's got to stay here. Yeah, we can. I'm, we can. I'm. Go ahead. Opposed to that. You're you're opposed you're opposed to one of the twelve best forwards for the Blackhawks right now, <laughs> staying with the Blackhawks. Because, so my logic on that is, why would you use the first year of his contract when you know the team's going to be bad? Because well, do we do we know the team? I mean, I mean, we've talked about how there's no real glimmer except Kurt, like Murphy and Sod. But do we know that they're not going to make any changes? Do you know? Do we do we know that Jeremy Collinson's not going to be fired, and we'll see a Craig Berube like turn turnaround? Do we know that for sure? I mean, I'm pretty sure this team sucks. I, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty. Convinced. I mean, I don't think did any of us pick them to make the playoffs. I know I didn't. I did. Okay. I did not. I, I looked at the central. I looked at the central division. Didn't like Winnipeg's defense. Didn't like Dallas's defense. And I didn't like Minnesota. And I thought well, right now I don't like Chicago's team. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's my only rationale is that for them to send him back to the WHL would be that they look at where they're at and say, would it matter now to have him here? Or would it be better for him to go to the WHL and be out there? Granted, it's been made clear that the team doesn't have connections out in Saskatoon the way that they did with uh, London London. and Brian Campbell. Um, So that will probably play a role in it. But you also have to think that if the Blackhawks do end up sending him back to Saskatoon, they're probably going to have someone out there. Right. Yeah, they've they've got to hire someone like – Antoine Vermette or someone, somebody, and just send them out there. Colin Frazier's out in that area. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. I, my response to what you're saying, Brandon, is the reason you keep Kirby Doc here for this season, even if they're not going to make the playoffs, is you expose him to the NHL. Like, I don't know how much better he's going to get by putting up 100 points in the WHL in 30 games. Like, it's – you know, if you get him in the NHL, you get him exposed to this level of play, you help him build his confidence here, then maybe next season or the season after that when the Hawks are playoff contenders again or just trying to get into the playoffs, I shouldn't say the word contenders because that might confuse people, just possibly competing for a playoff spot. Then you have Kirby Doc with a year of NHL seasoning uh, already under his belt, and then he can be an even bigger contributor to the team next season. And maybe next year he's your second line center because Dylan Strom doesn't pan out theoretically. Or or third line center and we have three scoring lines instead of yeah, two. There, yeah, that's a possibility as well. I, I think Kirby Doc, short term and long term, I think it's better to have him in Chicago this season. Because if you look back at the bigger picture, I mean, they keep telling us that they want this team to compete for the playoffs. Taves and Kane are on the wrong side of 30. Keith and Seabrook are getting closer to 40. So if they're going to win with all these guys that whose contracts don't seem like they're going anywhere, they got to do it soon. It's probably got to be in the next year or two before they before Kane, Kane or Taves really falls off a cliff, production wise. So, you know, Kirby Doc needs to be one of those guys. Right, which is why it wouldn't surprise me in say March and April that Ian Mitchell plays every game after he's done with college. Oh yeah, him, I don't. Him as well. I don't. That's not happening. Maybe not. 10 games so they can keep, they don't burn a year of his entry level deal but 
He'll, he'll play some. He should play some games if he signs. Well, and, you're you're assuming that Denver crashes out of the tournament. Oh, okay. Oh, so that's the issue is that Denver won't be out of the playoffs in time to for Mitchell to join. Yeah, you're saying oh, okay. But doesn't doesn't Frozen Ford conclude by the time before the NHL regular season concludes? Uh, let me just double check that. Yeah, I'm pretty I, sure. I'm pretty sure if, if that if Denver were to make it to the final, the overlap would be such that Mitchell might get one game or two at the most. Because I, I remember the as, Frozen as, as, Four is the ninth through the eleventh in of, Detroit of April. Yeah, yeah, and the Hawks season probably ends just before that. So yeah, and then the there's, um, there, there's your problem. The regional round is. March 27th through the 29th. Yeah, great. So that's the start of the tournament. Right. Well, now I don't have a reason to watch this team in March and April. Thank you. <laughs> Unless Denver does crash out. <laughs> well, well, I mean, they, uh, <laughs> you, you never know, I guess. So moving on to some of the other recent happenings in the Blackhawks world. And this was, this is what blew up on Twitter on Tuesday with the news that Brent Seabrook was going to be scratched for a second straight game and to which Brent Seabrook was approached by members of the media. And he was not particularly thrilled with the news that he was going to be sitting down again. And I'm going to read his quote directly from, uh, this was, I think Scott, pa- or excuse me, Charlie, I can never say his name, Charlie Romulitis. I, I don't know how to say it. Charlie <laughs> R from NBC Sports Chicago. Romeliotis. Romeliotis. There we go. Says Seabrook, quote here, I don't think I need rest. I think I feel great. I'm 34. You guys seem to want to write, want to write articles about my age and my speed. I feel like I still have a lot to offer in this league and still be a good player for somebody. Now, for me, I thought the most interesting part of that whole thing was at the very end when he said, a good player for somebody. And we're going to come back to that in a moment. But I just want to get you guys' initial reaction to a, the fact that they scratched Seabrook now for two games in a row, and B, the fact that Seabrook actually aired his grievances to the media because that doesn't seem like it's something he's done before. Shepard, go I'm, ahead. I mean, he's, he's, the, he's the alternate captain. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't usually do stuff out of the room, to be right. fair to Brent Seabrook. Um, I just don't think he's been one of the six best defenders on the ice uh, this season. I think Slater Cuckoo before this game moved the puck better than Seabrook did. Uh, I think it's a very reasonable request for the Blackhawks to take a look at Dennis Gilbert while he's up here, see if he's more ready than he was last season. Um, What what do you think about that after Tuesday night's game? I don't think he's the one who gets pulled out for uh, Seabrook. I think he's been good. I think he's consistent. I think he's, he's learning. I think he's doing exactly what the Blackhawks need him to do right now. To, to continue to earn play, uh, playing minutes. I think Slater Cuckoo will probably be the one to come out for Seabrook. But okay. I, I, like, I like Gilbert, especially on that third pairing, uh, where he can learn um, and sort of be sheltered. Right. But, but anyway, back to Seabrook. He, was just an, he just answered a question, and he answered a question honestly. And I think the interesting part is that he mentioned that he hasn't – talked with Colleton since Sunday and Colleton clarified that after the game. Again, this is reading from Ben Pope's Twitter account. Colleton said, we had a conversation on Sunday and he was given an explanation as far as why he was out. But from his perspective, it's like, okay, you've told me now there's nothing left to talk about. 
Maybe what was interpreted as we didn't talk to him, but that's not the case. It's our job to make sure that everything is as clear as possible and we'll continue to do that. And that just seemed, I don't know, with Seabrook being a guy that's been on the team for over a decade, he was a first-round pick, he's won three cups, all the things that are on the Brent Seabrook resume, the fact that Colleton didn't, I guess the question I'm going to ask you, Brandon, is does Brent Seabrook deserve more of an explanation than just being told on Sunday that he's out and then being just being told he's out again on Tuesday? I would think that the conversation that occurred on Sunday would you would want to mirror that on Tuesday. Well, from the from what it sounds like though, is there wasn't really a conversation. It was just Seabrook being told you're out, and he wasn't necessarily given a why. Unless, yeah. I'm, unless I'm remembering or reading this wrong. I could see how that could be seen that way. Um, and I think the probably the thing that isn't being, I guess, thought of in this situation is Seabrook's probably like, we're playing the Predators. I've played them like hundreds of times. So that might be his thing of like, okay, you pulled me in against the Kings, whatever. But to pull me against the Predators, like, I have all this experience. I know them. Um, sort of that thing of, you know, why would you send a, a rookie out there against these guys when I have the experience and know their systems and schemes and such? So, um, I don't, it might have been. Yeah, I, that, that, that could add to the frustration that he had on it. Um, and also, like, it was – the second game of a back-to-back, the first game he was scratched. So it's like, hey, I'm 34. Like, I get it, whatever. Um, but then to have a day off and then be told the next day you're out, uh, I could see how the frustration could boil over for him. Um, it's also interesting that he's like, hey, I know you guys are, are writing that I'm slow and, and not with it. I thought that was interesting. Well, I'm, I'm sure – as much as players say they don't read or they don't, oh, they do. Anything, they're they're all lying. They're all full of shit. I don't believe anything. Yeah, yeah. But the interesting, but to say it like to the to the press was, I don't know, pretty interesting. But he's like Shepard said, he's not someone who normally is talking to the press. Yeah, I mean, they for years it's it's been talked about publicly, and and if you read any of the the stories from the behind the scenes where they talk about the Blackhawks teams of the last decade, Brent Seabrook is the guy in the locker room. He's the one that it's, it's, it's kind of like Tays wears the C, but Seabrook's the guy that's, that's kind of making sure everything is running smoothly behind the scenes. So the fact that he actually spoke up like that was like, you know, Shepard, I think you were the one to mention. It was so rare for him to do, to air his grievances publicly like that. Cause that's just not the way Seabrook's been for the last decade or so. But I think the, you know, in hindsight, maybe scratching Seabrook or playing him against the Kings and then scratching him against the Predators might have been a better idea because, you know, the Kings aren't great and they aren't fast. And that's a game where Seabrook's skill set, he can probably, you can probably get away with Seabrook in your line. But if Brent Seabrook played in the game tonight, it might have been worse because Nashville's so fast and Seabrook is so not that it might have been a very bad look for Seabrook if he played in tonight's game against Nashville. But with the way they look tonight, I imagine Seabrook would have to be back in the lineup when they play again on Saturday night against L.A. again, right? Yeah, but then why didn't you – why did they play him against Carolina? Well, 
I, I think they were because they were just maintaining the status quo because I don't know. It, but yeah, the way Seabrook looked against Carolina with the way Nino Niederreiter turned him inside out, right. to open a shooting lane. That like that one play right there was exactly why Brent Seabrook had to sit against the LA Kings. There were other plays that weren't as good as either, but that one was just the poster child for this is why Brent Seabrook's not in the lineup. And the fact that Carlton said the thing about giving him a rest is total bullshit. Don't believe that for a second. It was absolutely because of his performance against the Hurricanes. It was entirely performance based. But yeah, it was a message. It was a it was a clear message across the bow. And we'll that see, Seabrook, Seabrook needs to play better. And we'll see what happens with some of the other veterans because you know we we harp on Brett Seabrook and he's been such a, a whipping post for everybody for the last two or three seasons. But I was just looking at the stats. Patrick Kane has one assist in his last five games. And Jonathan Taves' stat line is probably even worse. I haven't looked it up yet, but he has he has a goal and an assist on the season, so it's probably very bad. And wasn't that goal an empty netter? No, it was the uh, off the stick. It was it was, it was it was the overtime goal that he was, scored off the. It shin was a pad. rebound that I think it might have hit off his chest at some point too. It was his shin pad, but yeah, yeah, okay. It, it, okay. it hit his. So, I mean, his stick. Yeah, essentially, Taves is opening up a baker shop because his score sheet is just full of zeros. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I, I don't know what, I know what you guys think about with Taves with, I mean, he's notoriously been a slow starter and like, not, I'm not, not, I'm not worried slow. about, I'm not worried about Patrick Kane having a slow start. Cause I feel like the past has indicated he will turn it on eventually. I don't know if I have that confidence with Jonathan Taves. It's not that – well, I shouldn't say that I don't have faith, in, but I'm skeptical because he did have 80 points last season, but the two seasons before that were not good. So you're worried that last season was the outlier and the two seasons before that are just what Jonathan Tapes is now. So I, I don't know what to make of all that, but I, that that is one thing that I, I wanted to talk with you guys about a little bit because that was the positive thought I was able to muster after the game against the Carolina Hurricanes on Saturday is that you know, we talked about Kane's not doing anything. Taves isn't doing anything. DeBrinken and Strom before the game against the Kings on Sunday hadn't been doing anything. So, Connor Murphy's injuries aside, the fact that none of the top players aren't scoring at all really lends you to believe that maybe if those players start scoring, maybe this team won't be losing every game like it seems to be doing right now. Do you guys have any sort of optimism revolving around that thought? They scored seven goals in the first two games, so I mean they've shown that they can score. I, the, I mean the offense, like that was the one thing last year was in the first month of the season they were giving up five, six, seven goals a game it seemed, but they were scoring with those five, six, or seven goal outputs. So it was it was like nineteen eighties hockey that every game was nine to eight, but it was still they you know, they were able to get some wins out of it. This year they're just. They're not quite getting that scoring yet. It seemed like the Hawks would always go into a slide, usually like mid-late mid November. Usually they'd go into some type of scoring slump, and then December they'd get a bunch of home games and start scoring, lighting up, and everything would be okay. This year it seems like that malaise came early, that they had three games last week and they scored two goals in them before the five-goal outburst against L.A. Shepard, do you have any sort of – do you draw any kind of conclusions about – Maybe this team won't be so bad when the star players aren't bad. I, so I have a lot of hope that, especially with Patrick Kane, who's proven himself time and time again to be one of the best scorers in the NHL, 
that he'll rebound. Um, it's it's kind of typical for him to have some stretches like this where he has one assist in five games. Right. But it's he usually follows that up with just getting absolutely hot, and so he'll he'll sort of be the litmus test. Because if Kane gets going again, then it sort of feels like the team will get going again. Because he's he's sort of like the pacemaker offensively for this team. Uh, for Stroman to Brinkett, it just feels like they need more time on ice and more time on ice yes. together. Yeah, and more time on ice together. More ice time together, absolutely. Because they immediately had that chemistry again against the Kings. And part of that is that Alex Brinkett was playing with the absolute wrong person with Jonathan Taves because those two just do not fit together. Right. Um, they, they've never and, seemed to work. Yeah. And the other thing is, again, it feels like if, if, the, if the power play – which is clicking at below 10% right now, starts, <laughs> starts clicking at a normal, reasonable pace, which it has done in the past, then uh, they'll have some forward momentum in terms of offense, and it'll get easier for them to score once they're all collectively less snake-bitten. My only concern about what you mentioned with the power play, and this goes back to something I either talked about it or I wrote about it at the end of the last season. If you divided the schedule into three quarters last year, the stretch – that one stretch when they were the power play was clicking, it was up at like 40% for like a 20 game stretch, which is not sustainable. That's, that's way too good, but it was, it was encouraging that they were actually just able to do something for a while. And then for the last uh, 20 games or so of the season, and this didn't really seem to get mentioned as much because of how good the power play was for the month before it went right back down to like 10% over the last 20 games of the season. So, kind of like what I was referring to with Taves, it seemed like that 40% stretch was an outlier and either opponents figured out how to stop them or whatever the Hawks were doing. Maybe they just got some great puck luck for a month or two on the power play. And now we're again seeing the power play's true colors that it's still not any good. And Right. The, the, the problem with the power play now is, that, is not that the penalty kills have them figured out. It's that they won't shoot the puck. Because they had zero shots right. on goal in their two power play op- uh, in their first two power play opportunities against Nashville, and also just the like lately they can't even get the damn puck into the zone and get set up. Right, like, I, I like peop- some people hate the the drop back or pushing back entry as Foley calls it. I, I'm not really too upset with it. It seems like it works when it's executed properly, but they don't execute it properly. Right, especially against they, the- they don't have they don't have a they don't have a zone uh, a transition expert on that power play anymore the, like other than patrick kane they don't have a guy that can start with a puck behind their net and skate it into the opposing net with possession Brian which is what your gustafson's supposed to be that's what your gustafson's supposed to be for and he won't get going either and he's a guy another guy we haven't mentioned but if he's not going to be a 40 50 point like 60 points might be a tough uh, trick to turn again but if he's not going to be scoring like 40 50 points there's no reason for him to be on this team none and, and you're absolutely right and, and adam bogus needs to be called up yep. but getting back to your point like brian remember brian campbell was so much fun to watch in his career he would start with the puck behind the net on the power play he would skate to the blue line he'd chip it in he'd get it himself and set the power play up and um kane now gets the puck after gustafson skates to neutralize he drops it back to Kane. They send three guys or two guys at Kane, force him to dump it in. They don't retrieve it. The opposing team gets the puck and it goes the other way. That's the Hawks power play right now. So I, I don't know how to solve that because 
They don't have anyone else on the roster that can do that. And I'll take your silence as you guys are out of options too. So I don't know what the hell's going to happen. <laughs> it's really, I didn't expect this team to be great, but I don't know if I expected it to look this bad this early. Yeah. And there's going to be stretches like throughout the season where like any team will look bad, but to look this bad this early, I mean, it's just three, so alarming. Three of the last four games have been total disasters. The game against the, the Flyers, the Hurricanes, and the Predators tonight. And then, I, yeah, well, I, I think those are the only ones that I would classify as total disasters, but that's three in a week. So I mean, Winni- Winnipeg wasn't great considering they squandered a, they completely squandered a two-goal lead. Right, yeah, but, I mean, at least they had an, a part of that game where they, were, they scored two goals, so that was an improvement over the Nashville game tonight. Yeah. Uh, if, if they scored two goals tonight, that would have been because yeah, Pekka yeah. wasn't on his game. Yeah, yeah, because uh, if they had ca- caught him uh, leaving the crease early and going behind the net. So anyway, uh, looking ahead to the rest of this road trip, as we've discussed earlier, they play the Los Angeles Kings on Saturday night, which sounds like a perfect opportunity to get things right for one night at least. And then you've got a game against the Anaheim Ducks on Sunday night. And they follows up with a Tuesday match against the San Jose Sharks. Now, Anaheim's got their – I believe they're 7-6 and six right now, just a game over 500. So they seem like they're playing okay. San Jose is about as bad as the Blackhawks. I know, Shepard, you're the Pacific Division guy. How is Anaheim and San Jose looking this year? Anaheim's got a lot of really good goaltending from John Gibson so far this season. Um, so their goaltender's bailing them out. I've never heard of that before. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, <laughs> But besides besides him, they don't, at least that I've seen, don't have a ton. I don't know how they're scoring as, as many goals as they are, considering that what their offensive roster looks like and what their their defense is good. They have a better top four than probably the Blackhawks and all, and a lot of other teams. Um, and and Hampus Lindholm is a very very good defensive defenseman. Um, San Jose seems like the exact opposite that their team is sort of built everywhere but goaltender because because <laughs> they they have below 900 goaltending from book from their two guys combined right right yeah so martin jones still isn't doing it for you huh? no <laughs> no they and they they've never come up with a solution that isn't these two guys who are proven time and time again to be bad So it seems like, at least over the next three games, granted, they're all on the road, they're on the West Coast, where it seems like whenever the Hawks go out West, it's either they, it's either great or terrible and never in between. Um, so I don't know what to make of what's going to happen over the next three games. Uh, Brandon, do you have any thoughts on, on, on things to watch or what it's going to be like for the next week? Well, two of the three games are Blackhawks after dark games, so you know it's going to get weird. Well, of course. Well, aren't, aren't all three? They're all on the West Coast. The one against the Ducks is at 7 uh, oh, okay. Central Time. Oh, those good 7 o'clock starts. You're right. We can watch, the, we can watch the, the Hawks be terrible after we watch the Bears be terrible. It'll be fun. Symmetry or something. Yeah, 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 synergy. Um, I don't know. It'll be... 
I'm more looking forward to the game Sunday against the Ducks than the one against the Kings, just because they just played the Kings. So let's see what they can do against the Ducks, I guess. Right. Um, I, I, I and think... isn't it so strange to think that the Kings and the Ducks and the Blackhawks used to be like the the top tier of the West, and now it's like, well, kind of the very opposite. Right. Yes. Right. I mean, at yeah. least at least from the Kings' perspective, they got two cups, and the Husk got three, and Anaheim didn't get a damn thing. So I'd certainly much rather be a Blackhawks fan than a fan of Anaheim. Well, yeah. Anaheim got one in two thousand seven, but they just that had was, a longer. Yeah, they've had a longer drought. That was a whole different decade, Shepard. We're not even talking about that anymore. <laughs> that's, that's all I got. I, I, I'm I'm running out of things to say. Just. The game, the Blackhawks game tonight, I think, is giving me some significant brain damage or something. So, and and I think the important thing to look at schedule-wise is, well, we talked about the seven-game homestand at the start of the year seemed like the perfect opportunity for the Hawks. They were playing against – they had some what looked like winnable games. You're playing at home. Be a perfect opportunity to fatten up a little bit, get some wins, and so hopefully you're not chasing the standings like they were last year. Well, that didn't happen, obviously. And now two, three, and two. Say that again? Two, three, and two. Two, three, and two. Not great, Bob. So now you've got games against a terrible L.A. Kings team, a struggling Anaheim Ducks – or well, kind of struggling Ducks team, and then a definitely struggling San Jose team. Of course, the Hawks are struggling too. But the point I'm trying to make here is after that game, you've got a Vancouver team that's on fire. Then you have the Penguins the Maple Leafs, the Knights who they've never beaten. They go back to Nashville. You play a Buffalo team that's playing well. They play Carolina again. Then they get Tampa. Then they get a home-and-home with Dallas and a home-and-home with Colorado. Then the defending cup champions are in town to start November. Then they play the team that lost the Stanley Cup last year. So they better win at least two of these next three games because the 10 to 12 or so after that are nightmares. And – I, I, I'm looking at that schedule now. My first thought was Jeremy Colleton's going to have a lot of free time at Christmas this year. Oh, because he's going to be. Yeah, because he's uh, not going to have a job. He might even make it to family's Thanksgiving because the, the game against Tampa is right before Thanksgiving. Well, Tampa's the week before Thanksgiving. The home home against Dallas uh, is on, I think that is a Saturday and then a Tuesday. The Tuesday before Thanksgiving. So – that that's I, I could I could sit here and tell you I could easily see the Hawks losing all eight nine of those games. I the, so the problem is that there's weaker teams in that schedule than I think anybody expected going into this season. I don't think Dallas is as good as anybody predicted them to be. Well, uh, I, I will grant you that, but Dallas is way at the bottom of that list of Tampa, yeah. Carolina, Buffalo, Nashville, Vegas, Toronto, Pittsburgh, and Vancouver to get through. Right, but St. Louis is also bad, they're, and they're now missing Karasenko, too. They didn't again, start the but, season well. And again, St. Louis is until December. Like this, It's after all these games. Like This this stretch, this is – they got L.A., Anaheim, and San Jose, and then this is the order. Vancouver, Pittsburgh, Toronto, Vegas, Nashville, Buffalo, Carolina, Tampa. That is eight games that I could see the Hawks losing all eight of those. Well, again, but again, Pittsburgh is without Melkin, and they're, they're been, they've had a – somewhat cold start. Tampa Bay is not as good as anybody that predicted them to be so far to this. But we so see what fast teams do to the Blackhawks. Quit ruining my pessimism, Shepard. I'm, I'm looking for, <laughs> I'm looking for the glimmers. <laughs> uh, it's just Brandon, what do you, am I, am I out of my mind here? But like, and, and the thing is if, 
Connor Murphy can't be back until November 17th, which is the game against Buffalo. So, Brandon, am I, am I out of my mind for thinking the Hawks could lose eight in a row here at the end of November? God. It seems more feasible because it happened twice last season. <laughs> Don't – damn it. <laughs> That's the that's why you're that's why you think that is because you're like, well, I saw it twice. So I mean oh, hey, you could do it again. That is such not a great thought. Oh. Um so I don't know. I think oh, it's just so fascinating to me because we've seen like the highest of highs of this right team. So to now to see like the very like uh teeter totty like Oh, is it going to be bad again? Or yeah. like, eh, they could shoot up and be not too bad. So it's this weird like purgatory area. And it, it feels like what everyone expected at the start where it's like Chicago could maybe be like really bad or like maybe not bad or make the playoffs. Like no one really knew going into the season. And I feel like that's kind of what's happening now where it's been like, well, this has been bad so far, but if X, Y, and Z happen, then it's not as bad. And then you factor in that there's been an injury. So to me, now, like, thinking back on it, just sit back and see what happens. And if you don't set expectations, then you can't be let down that hard, right? (laughs) Oh, that's 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 a that's a great thought. I, I think like I might be contradicting myself a little bit here. Like I'm trying not to overreact to the the three games in the last week that were such disasters. But like I think the way I can sum this up now is it's the way I feel about the Blackhawks. This kind of touches on what you were mentioning, Brandon. Is that I used to have to be convinced that the Blackhawks weren't a cup contending team. I say from 2010 till about 2016 and a half. I, I always had to be convinced that this team, that the Hawks couldn't get to the cup because that's how good the team and the talent was. Now you have to convince me they don't suck. And right now I have very little evidence to convince me that they're not going to be a bad, maybe a lottery team again this year. And the Connor Murphy thing, I'm like, there's two parts of that. I think Connor Murphy is a significantly better player than he gets a lot of credit for in Chicago. And I think his absence is a massive blow to this team. But on the other side of that coin, Connor Murphy shouldn't make that much of a difference. And the fact right. that he does is an indictment of the depth of this team. So Connor, Mur- Connor Murphy is not a number one defenseman, but he's definitely a number two because he can play with a number one defenseman. Yeah, and, and but, I, I agree with that. But your, Absolutely. Your, but, number, your number two defenseman shouldn't hurt your team this much that he's – the most missed and most important defenseman yeah. on your team. You shouldn't have three disasters in four games because of your number two defenseman not being in the lineup. So I, I, th- I think, I think that's now the new barometer. I'm going to judge all the Hawks game with. So you either it was a disaster or not a disaster. They've had three disasters in the last week. And I think that's why my pessimism is overwhelming me right now. Maybe things get figured out. Maybe they don't lose eight in a row. Like I think they're going to in the back half of November, but. I, I, there's, there's this gnawing. It just, I think it goes back to what Brandon was mentioning earlier. We've seen this before and I just don't have a lot of belief that the story's going to change. So yeah, that, 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 that's where I'm at right now. And I imagine there's plenty of other Blackhawks fans that are in the same boat. 
Any other final thoughts, Brandon Shepard? Anything else to add that we might have missed out on? Aren't any games that the Blackhawks play against the Hurricanes a disaster? It feels that way. I remember going to a Hawks Hurricanes game. There was a joke there, Dave. Damn it. Oh. <laughs> no, because no. They're, they're I was gonna, there was a game I went to in like 2007 ish. I can. It was. It was. I was wearing a Tuomo Rutu jersey. That's how long ago it was. I just remember take. I took a bunch of friends on. I was home for spring break. I said, "Hey, let's go see a Hawks game. It'll be a great time. You guys have fun. Tickets are cheap. It's hockey. It's cool." They lost like four or five nothing to the Hurricanes, and I don't think any of my friends went to another hockey game again. Well, I was just saying that like Hurricanes are national disaster. I, I know, but. I know, I know the joke <laughs> you're making now, but isn't Hurricane season over anyway? Uh, is it? I, I, thought, I, I don't know. I don't live. In I thought, I don't know. It just November. it just like blows past, and you don't even realize it. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's it's it's, it's there, the, there the it winds is. are very there high. Is, Brandon, there. God damn it! I knew you'd still figure something out. Any uh, all right, Brandon's done. Shepard, any any final thoughts? <laughs> uh, I just I hope Rockford turns it around because Rockford <laughs> right now is is not doing well either. And I I just like to see our prospects like like Kurashev and Sakura and Boquist do well. I, I agree. I just want I want something to feel positive about with this team, and I like we. I think we mentioned at the start of the year we thought Rockford was going to be really good, and the fact that they're getting their skulls kicked in every weekend isn't very encouraging either. So, hopefully, we'll have better things to talk about at future episodes of the Second City Hockey Podcast. Thank you very much for listening to this one. For Brandon Kane, for Shepard Price, I'm Dave Melton. Thanks again for listening, and please, for the love of God, go. Da 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 da